Hello, hello, and welcome back to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house, indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and today we're continuing our series on film noir, looking at the 1947 film Nightmare Alley from director Edmund Goulding and starring Tyrone Power and Joan Blondell. Yes, that is the same title as Guillermo del Toro's film from last year. Both films are based on the same novel. My guest is classic film expert Rance Collins. Don't go anywhere. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to quickly plug our new Patreon. If you want to support Arthouse Garage, there's no better way and you get some great bonuses. Arthouse Garage patrons get ad-free episodes, so you would not be hearing this ad right now, bonus episodes, the latest one features Chris Pistol, we recently talked about some of the films we've been watching and had a great talk. You also get extended discussions, sometimes my film talks go pretty long, I cut them down for the main episode, but patrons can hear the uncut versions. And there are video discussions, anytime I have a guest I'm now recording video, of those discussions, and you can check those out on Patreon. If you want to sign up, you can find the link in the show notes or visit patreon.com slash arthousegarage now. Let's get into today's film. For this film series, we're focusing on film noir, the dark, twisty film movement that first gained traction after World War II. This is the second episode in the series. If you missed it, go back two episodes and listen to our first film noir discussion about 1949's The Third Man. Today, we're looking at 1947's Nightmare Alley. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Guillermo del Toro's Nightmare Alley that came out last year is a remake of the film we're discussing today. Actually, del Toro doesn't consider it a remake because he says he read the book before he saw the original film, but the two films have an awful lot in common. Rance and I do a lot of comparing the two films in our discussion. The 1947 version of Nightmare Alley is a film noir about a carnival worker named Stanton Carlyle who learns a mind-reading act. He takes that show on the road and pushes his luck further and further. The film is not only visually dark, but thematically as well. There's murder, abuse, drunkenness, a whole lot of stuff that's heavy by today's standards, but was even more risky in 1947. My guest for this series is Rance Collins. Rance is a frequent guest on the show, probably my most frequent guest, and that's because he knows just about everything about classic film. I highly recommend that you check out Rance's podcast, The Envelope Please, in which he and his co-host are watching through every Best Picture winner and digging into all sorts of Oscars history along the way. It's great stuff. All right, let's get into it. Here is my discussion with Rance Collins about 1947's Nightmare Alley. Thank you. 
have the feeling. That's why I'm going to keep away from you. You know... What? I wonder why I'm like that. Like what? I'm never thinking about anybody except myself. Well, you don't think I'd go without you. You mean that, Stan? Absolutely. You satisfied? Oh, Stan, I don't care for nothing now. Nothing in the world. Welcome back to the podcast, Rance Collins. How are you today? Um, I am so excited to talk movies. Let's just put yes. it that way. <laughs> Sometimes it's the, the best thing for, yeah, when I've had a rough day or like just not feeling it. A good movie talk can, can really perk you up. Just, so. just centers you, really. <laughs> Yes. Well, this movie that we're talking about today, Nightmare Alley, came out in 1947. Um, and, you know, I've said this as I've introduced it, but um, this the title may ring a bell because recently Guillermo del Toro made a new version of this. And interestingly, as I was kind of researching, he does not consider it a remake because he, he just kind of adapted the source novel, sort of a, mm-hmm. a new adaptation, because uh, he said he read the, the novel before he ever saw the original film. Yeah, okay. this is based on a novel, which is interesting. So um, not necessarily a remake, but a, a new adaptation of Nightmare Alley. Um, I do find that interesting. I just want to say off the bat, because the two of there, there are similarities, not yeah. just in story. There's tonal very. I yeah. mean, like, yeah, I mean, obviously the source novel, you're coming from the same material. You're going to have a lot of similarities, mm-hmm. but it feels very directly inspired to me. Yeah. I would agree with so. that because apparently the source novel too is is really a lot more complex than either film, and so they adapted it identically almost <laughs> if that's the case. But because yeah, apparently the things that were cut from the novel are kind of the same across the board. But yeah. I do have a once we get to kind of the end, I have a little a few just little differences that I noticed uh, that we mm-hmm. can chat about, especially like the ending and everything is is a the bit endings different. the the big the big yeah. But obviously that's spoilery, so we don't want to. Yes, right. So what we, what we will do before we talk spoilers is we'll talk about the film uh, a bit in non-spoiler terms and who's in it and who created it and all of those kinds of historical context things. And then we can kind of jump into talking spoilers later on. Um, so, Rance, what do you think someone should know about this film before they watch it? Uh, who who Who's the director? Well, the director is Edmund Goulding. Um, who uh, was a very prolific uh, studio contract director in the 30s and 40s. He worked at MGM and then Warner Brothers and then uh, Fox, obviously, later on, because this was a 20th century Fox movie. Um, He directed an early Best Picture winner, uh, Mm -hmm. Grand Hotel, which is often cited as the only Best Picture winner that didn't get a single other nomination. Mm. So his direction was not honored for that film. Um, He also uh, directed a lot of uh, women's pictures, as they called Mm. them, which were (laughs) movies obviously geared towards the female demographic. Uh, He directed five movies with Betty Davis, including uh, one called Dark Victory, which is uh, her Mm -hmm. personal favorite of her films. Um, And... uh, he also clearly bridged into film noir, although it's just it's interesting to note that this is a film noir film from him because this wasn't really I don't think this was considered his forte necessarily, yeah. but he was an yeah. A-list director 
And mm-hmm. unlike a lot of noir films, this movie was given an A-list budget and mm-hmm. cast as well. Um, yeah, I read that this was a bit of a departure for him and for the star, which we, we'll talk about him in a minute. Uh, but here's an interesting little factoid that I found in, in my research. It says, this is from a Criterion article that I, I can link, but it says, despite three of his films being nominated for Best Picture, Grand Hotel, which mm-hmm. one, Dark Victory, and The Razor's Edge, Goulding himself was never nominated for Best Director. He is tied with Jack Conway, the director of A Tale of Two Cities in 1935, for having made the most Best Picture nominees without garnering a Best Director nomination. Yeah. It's an interesting little Oscar tidbit. Yeah, it's a, I mean, he he was one of those uh, studio directors, um, you know, they, studios at the time had directors under contract and they would just plug mm-hmm. them into movies, basically. And they, they didn't, they weren't considered auteurs by any stretch of the imagination. They were, people who showed up and did their job basically Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and were considered reliable and this was before uh the period of time that directors i think were really given their just due for the creative visions they have for Mm -hmm. movies um there were very 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 few directors that were on that type of level at the time Mm -hmm. uh outside of hitchcock and uh orson welles um there were really only a, a handful that were names anyone would know outside of the industry. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the star of this film, Tyrone Power. Um, so yeah, a bit of a, a departure for him as well. Is that correct? Yes. Uh, Tyrone Power was known for being kind of a swashbuckling hero. Hmm. Um, very much, I would say, Fox's answer to Errol Flynn. Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, so he did a lot of movies that really traded in on the fact that he was a good looking dude who uh, could wield a sword, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, and so he didn't have that much uh, that many chances to stretch his acting ability. Um, He never was nominated uh, Mm -hmm. for an Oscar. and let me i said that with such confidence and now i feel the need to <laughs> well to you look it up all, another little factoid that i read about him is that so yeah. he did kind of matinee idol roles and before and after this like he kind of went back to that after this movie um, but he considers this his favorite performance of, of his own performances yes and he never he never was nominated for an academy award although mm-hmm. many would argue that either this or a movie called Witness for the Prosecution, mm-hmm. which is a Billy Wilder film based on an Agatha Christie play and short story. Um, he is pretty fantastic in that movie, too. And it's, again, mm-hmm. a, one other of very of really too few uh, opportunities he had to kind of stretch his mm-hmm. uh, acting muscle. But uh, he died quite young. He was only... Mm-hmm. Um, he was only 54 when he died. So he um, he really there was another act of his career that maybe was never entirely lived mm-hmm. out. But at the time, yeah. he was one of the biggest stars, period. Yeah, it's interesting because he's not really a household name today. Like some stars mm-hmm. from that era were. And so I was like, oh, I wonder I've never heard of this guy. And, uh, you know, I guess you know, that, I have a theory on that, too. You know, yeah. I think a lot of the big name stars that we still talk about um 
were either MGM or Warner Brothers contract stars. And mm-hmm. I think that I, I think that for our generation, that's true because those were the movies that Turner had rights to. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. those movies became a larger part of the cultural conversation just because they were on cable more. Yeah. And these movies by Fox, marketing thing. Yeah, yeah. These movies by Fox didn't aren't aren't played on weren't played on TV as much as mm-hmm. the other as the other films were. And that so those sense. names yeah. didn't enter the consciousness as much. And plus, you know, mm-hmm. I think the fact that there aren't really any movies of his that are considered top 100 greatest movies of all time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, there isn't that way to get seen either. So there's yeah. a lot of uh, there's a, but he was a huge star at the time and he did play Zorro and all that stuff. So. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. Yeah, well, that's really interesting about him. Um, there's several other actors in this. Who do you think is important to highlight um, out of the Joe other? Blondell. Joan Blondell. Joan Blondell, who plays the part that Tony Collette plays in the mm-hmm. more recent version. Joan Blondell was an early uh, sound film star. Uh, the mm-hmm. Precodes is kind of where she mm-hmm. had her heyday. She was known for her wisecracks. Um she uh has a line in one movie i think it's her i hope i'm not crediting this there's there's another actress who's very similar to her who i get her confused with named una merkel but um there's a movie where she says something to to somebody in a pre-code film uh as long as there's sidewalk she'll have a job and Mm. she's talking to a a girl she considers to be of ill repute you know um so she was known she was known for for playing those wisecracking dames in movies mm. like uh, the gold diggers of 1933 and other Busby mm. Berkeley musicals. Um, and she continued to work consistently. And then her kind of hard edge style as she got older, lended itself quite well to noir. And even later mm. on, she would continue to be a supporting actress in a lot of movies, including um, an Elvis movie that's really awful called Stay Away Joe (laughs) and uh, a really great uh, Catherine Hepburn, Spencer Tracy rom-com from the 50s uh, called uh, Death Set. So interesting. Wow. um, So she had a long career as kind of a a little character player. Yeah, she's really good in this. And and, and I kept as I'm thinking about all the characters too, like thinking of them in terms of who plays them in the in the new one um so yeah obviously tyrone power we didn't mention is the bradley cooper role in the new one his character's name is stanton carlisle um yeah anyone else here really significant historically we've got colleen gray as molly that's uh the rooney mara character in the new one um helen walker as dr lilith Lilith ritter and that's kate blanchett in the new one um and there's a handful of others here that i think bruno character bruno is um I'm blanking on his name right now. Who plays Hellboy in the Del Toro Hellboy? Um, Ron Perlman. Oh, yeah. That's who I'm thinking of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, um, no one David else Trudeau in this cast anyway. made as big a, a significant a, pl- a splash, I should say, mm-hmm. as the okay. as the two main people, um, which is a little bit interesting because I think that in one way this is different. Perhaps there's a stronger emphasis on the um, what's the character's name on the Xena character yeah Mm -hmm. um just because 
Yeah, than there is in the remake, which I think yeah. gives Rooney Mara, who plays Molly mm-hmm. in that version, I think she gets yeah. a little bit more weight in the story. Of course, everything mm-hmm. gets more weight in the story because the the remake <laughs> is um, about forty five <laughs> minutes <Yeah>. longer. <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, I am interested what your first hot take takeaway is because you and I come from this from very different perspectives. Mm, I saw the original first and you saw Mm -hmm. the remake first. So what do you think having seen this one second? Do you, what is your feeling on the two comparing them to? I I definitely like both quite a bit. I think this one, so, I mean, it's a very dark story and I, I, wondered like is is the original as dark as this this new del toro version like does it just because it's older and i know you always have an expectation that it's not going to go go there in the same way that it does but it really does there are a few things that are uh, a bit tamer but um it really it really has quite an edge to it um and it, it, obviously the ending which we'll talk about is is different and is uh not quite as dark but mm. um but yeah, I think I was surprised by how dark it was. But yeah, really engrossed in the storytelling, and I think the writing of it is really good. Um, some of the dialogue, which I wonder if it's you know from the novel or or what dialogue around um, you know this character's playing God and all of that. And he also he's self aware about how terrible of a person he is in some some ways. He's like, I don't know why I do these things, but I can't stop myself, kind of thing. Um, yeah, so that, that's an interesting. So I guess just briefly what the plot is, if you haven't watched it yet listener uh it is a, a carnival worker and it's kind of takes place in the world of carnies at the beginning and this character stanton carlisle um becomes very good at being a mentalist it's mentalist act where he pretends to be able to read minds and so good at it that he's very good at deceiving people and he pushes it and pushes and pushes basically uh and and it's a question of like how far is he going to be able to push before he has a, a downfall is essentially how it goes um and so he leaves the carnival and then takes the show on the road and uh, continues to have kind of greater and greater deceptions so that's that's mm-hmm. sort of the the brief version of the story what is your feeling rants about you know comparing the two or um which one you prefer well you know it's interesting i um i saw nightmare alley I think I saw it the weekend it came out, the new one, the new one. Um, But I went with some friends who wanted to see it. And for whatever reason, I didn't I didn't see a trailer. I didn't read anything about it. Mm -hmm. I for some reason, it just kind of like completely was not on my radar for some reason. And so I just I I knew that there was another version. There was another movie called Nightmare Alley. But I just thought it was one of those things where people are just Mm -hmm. using the title. Yeah, yeah. Which does happen. And so like five minutes in, I was like, wait, I know this story. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and then I realized it was indeed a remake of uh, this movie that I had seen several years prior at mm-hmm. the Egyptian, where you've been mm-hmm. yes, um, yes. Uh, at the Film Noir Festival, which every year in L.A. they have a Film Noir Festival um that last a couple weeks and uh it's not like the tcm it's not as intense as tcm film mm-hmm. festival it's like one movie like, at a time some screenings you can go see yeah 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 um and uh they showed it in nitrate so mm-hmm. i saw a nitrate print um you know which in case people don't know is a very flammable yeah. type of film <laughs> go watch the movie cinema paradiso 
Um, but, uh, it's, uh, it's very high quality, fine grain, beautiful. If you get to see a print that's in nitrate. So I saw this flawless nitrate print Mm. of the movie. It looked absolutely incredible. And I really, really liked it. But I remember, um, coming away from it thinking like, Oh my gosh, this is so dark. And I (laughs) like felt like I needed to take a shower after it was over. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then, so I knew what I was in for five minutes in to nightmare alley. Mm -hmm. I knew what I was in for. And I also knew how much longer it was. And so by the time (laughs) Kate Blanchett came around, Mm -hmm. I was like, Oh my gosh, are we only two? (laughs) 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 Which I think a little bit of my enjoyment of the new one was hampered by just knowing what the beats Mm -hmm. of the story were in advance. But um, what's interesting is the two versions, as far as I can tell, are very very similar up to mm-hmm. the last act yeah um and then they end up going in a different direction i read up on the novel today just to see what the difference were differences mm-hmm. were between the book and the movies and it goes in a different direction for the ending than not the the ending ending but the mm-hmm. how we get to the ending is okay. different and um uh, the the original the forty seven movie is a little bit more faithful than the mm, interesting than okay. the remake, um, which I don't want to discuss that until yeah. we get to the spoiler section. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, I, I would say I think I prefer the original just in terms of pacing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I did. I did feel like I like the, the aesthetics of the remake. Mm, yes, yeah. I, I like the aesthetics of the remake. I like the performances in both of them mm-hmm. actually, but. Um, I think uh, the thing I like about the casting of both Bradley Cooper and Tyrone mm-hmm. Power is I think casting somebody who is matinee idol looking mm-hmm. in something yeah. that dark because mm-hmm. you're supposed to root for someone who's like the movies have taught yeah. us to root for the good looking <laughs> the people. handsome person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when you turn that on its et- on its head, I think that's great. I mm-hmm. also yeah. think that I I it's tough to i think it's like two interpretations of the same thing but um mm-hmm. i i really really like joan blondell in the original mm-hmm. i i yeah. like what or like that hard-edged mm-hmm. yeah we can talk again about the differences in a minute but her her character gets a little bit more to do i think in the original as well so yeah mm-hmm. i think ultimately i probably do prefer the original also i would really like to rewatch the new one and actually there's as we mentioned there's like a black and white version which mm-hmm the the blu-ray is out but the black and white version is not on it so i was looking at that i wonder if one day we'll get a special edition or or maybe even a criterion edition i wouldn't be surprised that would include the black and white cut of the new one it's not del toro's done stuff there before it's not hbo either i don't think so no it's only the colorized that color oh i mean it's not colorized it's not desaturated (laughs) it was originally made in color but yeah and apparently they they spent quite a, a lot of you know work transferring it to black and white to make sure it all looks looks nice and everything so i would love to watch that but um but yeah i think i do probably prefer the the old one which which also kind of surprised me because i like the new one a lot so well you well know, that's, i go ahead I, I do you think that your um your feelings were at all how do you think you would have felt had you watched it in reverse order i'm just curious yeah it's hard to say look so even with the the new one, I I watched it and I was like, yeah, this is really good. But there were some other critics that I know that like 
it was in their top 10. It was one of their favorite things. They were really crazy about it. And that wasn't my feeling with it. I just was like, this is a good Del Toro movie, but not my favorite of his even. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I feel like I would probably still like the original better if I'd seen it in, in the order you had. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I just, uh, I wonder if, um, I, I think seeing, I think if my, my slate had been clean, mm-hmm. I would rank, I would still probably prefer the original if I saw them both, but I think I'd, mm-hmm. I'd like the remake more had I not already known the story. Yeah. You know? Um, yes. Mm-hmm. So, but I, I appreciate that people are watching this old one because yeah. of, um, yeah. because of the uh, the remake being made if they can find it that is yes yeah which uh, i didn't mention this yet but i so i watched a, a bootleg on youtube because the rights are kind of in uh up in the air i guess there is a criterion physical version but the film is not streaming anywhere at this moment so hopefully that will change but uh you can watch a pretty good version on youtube although i do it's you, like do you think disney yeah. doesn't think this is going to fit on disney plus do you think that's what it is <laughs> it's so. like this doesn't Apparently feel like trying to change that a little bit but yeah it is kind of weird they should just put a classic film section up i think that would be really cool and you know have it child locked well, they for have, stuff like this but they have hulu too they could yeah. throw mm-hmm. they yeah, throw absolutely. a classic and, section on hulu and yeah. this would fit fine i think that would be know. perfect yeah yeah they should do that yeah well well what can we do yeah well i guess let's talk spoilers now so if you haven't watched the film tune out now and go watch it on youtube <laughs> it was funny watching it on youtube and then i went to the criterion website and just looked at like the still images like wow this looks a lot better than the version i watched on, on youtube so youtube version is fine um I, I i like this enough that maybe i'll maybe i'll buy the the, the physical one eventually but anyway Sport physical right. media <laughs> i i'm one of the few that what's the there's like the address of development thing there are dozens of us dozens there are dozens <laughs> Still <collecting laughs> i saw him today by the way i saw david cross today really in person yeah i went to a wow. star ceremony at on the hollywood walk of fame oh he had a star was, oh that's cool no not him oh not i was saying <laughs> he's, he's a star <laughs> he's he yeah. spoke at the star ceremony for bob uh uh uh, why can i not think uh, of names bob odenkirk um yes thank you cool i didn't know he was gonna star he did but yeah they they worked together back on mr show back then i've never watched it he he talked about it kind of in legendary. very sarcastic terms he talked about it. <laughs> so. david cross is an interesting guy very funny but sometimes so snarky that it's like damn you know <laughs> some of his tweets and stuff <laughs> anyway i mean <laughs> enough about david cross okay anyway Let's talk about Nightmare Alley in a little bit more detail. So I guess to go through the plot a little bit in more depth. So if you've seen it at this point, we're going to talk about everything. But but yeah, that opening section, um, it's almost into thirds a little bit. So we have like the first third at the carnival. And um, yeah, it's hard to not, not want to go ahead and compare the two versions. So maybe let's just do that. But, but yeah, the Xena character he's married to pete and you know pete's a drunk and he's uh having a hard time and all of that and um i think the new version gives pete more we have david Strathairn there so that's one reason i think that that tony collette's character feels less significant than um than in, in the original here with joan blundell because mm-hmm. 
the character Pete in this is really kind of just exists for her character development. But in, in the new version, Dave Strathairn is, is a bit of a, a bigger player in the film. He actually teaches um, De, uh, Bradley Cooper how to do some of the mentalism stuff. But in yes. this version, like Pete dies and then Xena kind of reluctantly finally lets, uh, lets him in on the mentalism stuff uh, and the code that they have. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's so interesting. It's like as I look through the the, the little changes, I am like, that was a good change, Guillermo del Toro. I like what you did there, and yet I still like the original better. Um, <laughs> but that's that's one where there's that, and then also the whole all the stuff about the geek is uh, so in in this original version, it's off screen. Like it's you, you could yeah. it tells you what's happening, but you don't see it. Whereas in the new version, we we watch it happen, and it's disturbing and gross and all of that. Um, and then we Which also I get, always. Yeah, I always prefer not seeing that is because <laughs> yeah. I can't not because I uh, not for any ar- uh, actual artistic reason, <laughs> just because reason. my yeah. stomach is like can't handle. Yeah. I just look away at gross yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I can actually look at the screen when they don't show things <laughs> with that. And then so the in the new one, there's also the um, Willem Dafoe character who talks a whole lot about that process which we don't get any of that in the original either which i I do think that's a nice touch especially where the ending goes like to understand like what the geek is i think they do say in the original like some some people won't won't work for a a carnival that does this like out of uh like for moral obligation or objections which was a true thing i did a little bit of research like some carnivals really did have this and they were paid in alcohol and uh there were conscious objectors who would say okay i won't work for you if you're doing this so that's really interesting and that 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 really sets the film off to this like okay we're in a dark place here we're gonna yeah be exploring some dark themes um and then the pete character ends up dying and that's a difference as well because in this one uh, it's an accidental switch up of the booze bottle with a like a some sort of a wood cleaner that's you know, paint thinner kind of a thing. He accidentally drinks and dies and it is Stan's fault because he had put the bottle there. Um, but I, as I recall in the new version, Bradley Cooper, I think it's hinted at the end that he's responsible for it, but it's not made clear at the beginning. Yeah, it's not clear. I, that was something I remember thinking while I was watching it, like mm-hmm. if, if, if he had or if he hadn't. Which I don't mind in ambiguity, so that's fine. Yeah. I I know that with yeah. um, with the original, they are working under the production code, which I we've talked mm-hmm. about before. How killers can't get away; you can't get away with a crime, basically. And so they right. couldn't mm-hmm. have him intentionally do that; otherwise, they mm-hmm. wouldn't have passed the code yeah. for him to get away with it. That's interesting. Yeah, that I didn't yeah. think about that aspect of it, but I'm sure that's why. Because in the end, um, the psychiatrist character, Doctor Lilith, does when she turns on him at the end, she uses that against him, even though it was unintentional, right? In this mm-hmm. in original version, although in the new one, it's like maybe he didn't do it on purpose, or maybe he did, and we just didn't see it, or it was off screen, or what. But she seems to know, or she 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 has enough to make an accusation against him at, at least yeah. in the Bradley Cooper version. Yeah. So that that's an interesting little little difference as well. Quick ad break. Like a lot of movie fans, I love popcorn. I found a popcorn company online that I'm obsessed with, so I became an affiliate to share it out with any other popcorn lovers out there. It's called O Pop Pop, and the cool thing they do is they wrap the seasoning 
around the popcorn kernels themselves. They're called flavor-wrapped kernels. What that means is you pop it quick and easy in the microwave, but it's perfectly seasoned in a ton of different flavors. Butter, cinnamon roll, edamame, vanilla cake pop. There's a bunch more. Check them out now at arthousegarage.com popcorn or find the link in the show notes. If you like popcorn, I think you'll be into it. Okay, back to the show. But you, but you, but yeah, that first section with the carnival. I think both movies, in their own way, do a really good job of of creating mm. a a time and a place. And I think honestly, yeah. the strongest section, probably in both films, is those carnival scenes. Yeah. Uh, because you you get such a strong sense of um, I like that there's an atmosphere. And I read mm-hmm. that apparently. 20th Century Fox did build a, a 10 mm. acre uh, carnival. Like actual carnival. Lot. Yeah, I read yeah. that as well. Yeah. And like um, hired some carnival workers as extras and stuff to, to be in the in the film. And really I cool. mean, there is an authenticity that mm-hmm. that is felt. And that definitely, I think, lends to a certain the, the darkness of the atmosphere really yeah. benefits from that. In a way, I think that. I think for some reason, maybe it's because it's in black and white uh, there. It, it feels honestly a little bit more authentic to me in the in the original. Because um, hmm. I think that there's this kind of uh, Guillermo del Toro has a natural quality in his films that feels mm-hmm. like fantasy. Yeah, I was thinking like it's so stylized in a way that it's. Yeah. Yeah. It's Whereas like we're playing carnival versus like we're actually in the carnival kind of thing. And the noir mm-hmm. style is very like mm. stark reality, you know, yeah. you know, people yeah. think about big sleep and yeah, that's like heightened, mm-hmm. heightened reality. But those late forties movies really uh, like uh, there's, there's just a, there's a bleakness about it, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I wonder if in the black and white version of the Del Toro version, if that's, that feels different because of that, because it's something maybe that's in the black and white a, a little bit. I was wondering that too, actually. I, I yeah. bet you it I bet you it does feel a little bit different. But mm-hmm. in this one, I I think you definitely get that sense. It's mm-hmm. uh it, it feels like an end of the road. Yeah. Um it's, Yeah, I love the scene yeah. where the, the the police come to kind of break up the show in, in both versions. It's really done well done. And then Stan like talks that with his way out of it. But yeah, you get a sense of like they're they are doing some 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 shady things like it's obviously like okay this seems really shady like mm-hmm. this geek thing is this is this illegal how are they getting away with this and then we see okay yeah the laws kind of after them for this reason so that was i like that they include that in the story i yeah no it, it's it's interesting you don't think about a movie you you talked about the tone of the movie um and you don't think about a movie of this age having this kind of pessimism Mm -hmm. you know um but uh but i really like i i love in both movies i love this but i i love uh how much it keeps you guessing with the main Mm. character about whether or not Mm -hmm. you can um trust uh stan um stan right yes yeah Stanton so Carlisle, but he goes Stan. by Stan. Sometimes he Stanton. goes by Carlisle. So yeah, about whether or not you can 
Uh, because I don't, I think part of the strength of the story is you don't really know how much integrity he does or doesn't have, or how much he's lost by the time he becomes this story mm-hmm. mentalist, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that, and that's where I think the character, the Joan Blondell character, having her be such a strong part of it is is so uh great to the original because i think we i think the audience most identifies with her yeah you know? yeah i think so too like she she feels bad about what she's done to pee like it's, it seems to be like her uh unfaithfulness or whatever has caused him to to be the drunk that he is and that sort of thing which is interesting but yeah then she has quite a relationship with Stanton and then like mm-hmm. she's into the tarot cards as well, which is interesting. Um, I have, there's not, I haven't seen a ton of movies that have tarot cards in them. I realized when I was, I was like, Oh yeah, I've only seen this in like a few other things. Um, but that's ends up being a big part of the story too. But yeah. And, and interesting too, in the, Oh, you got your tarot cards right here. <laughs> I actually have a, I have a deck that I, I set aside just for this moment. Do you um, have the hanged man? Is that a real? I don't know that much about tarot. It actually. is a real card. Hold on, I'll I'll find it. Um, I I have a friend who uh does tarot readings, mm. and uh I got these uh for fun. I also have a Meryl Streep tarot deck that I bought oh, nice. for as a joke at as Amazon. <laughs> that's over there somewhere. I forget what each movie, each Meryl Streep character uh, is. Uh, I for, I don't remember what hang hang man is but like the yeah. sun is mama mia it's it's a whole um <laughs> but uh yes this is the the hanged man oh, there it is there you have it yes that's cool um, the criterion cover is really cool it's it looks like the hanged man but it's it's uh um the actor's face i'm forgetting his name at this moment uh on tyron it, Power. yes tyron power's face on on the hanged man image it's criterion cool. really knocks it out of the park with those covers just yeah, gotta say art, art covers um but yes, I, I I read that the novel actually every chapter is named for a card in oh, the deck. Oh, that's cool. Um, Man, I'm gonna have to read this novel now. I know it, it sounds fascinating, but having <laughs> um, but having had some uh, interactions with tarot cards before, mm-hmm. you know, like however, I I'm definitely not saying these are true or false <laughs> in terms of mm-hmm. what they uh, claim to do, but. Um, right. I, I think it adds um uh I, I love it when something adds that mystical element yeah, to, to the film, a story. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know. With that because there's a feeling of um dread and destiny that hangs mm. on. Yeah. Uh and, and it's difficult, I think, to do this too, because because most people consider this stuff to be, you know, pretty ridiculous. Right. you know in the grand scheme of things but obviously there are always people who subscribe to fortune tellers mm-hmm. and um and astrology or you know whatever mm-hmm. and um and so when a movie it, when it sells a world the way that these do mm-hmm. um and it sells a character which again i think this is why this character is so important to the story like the one joan blondell plays then then when you pull a card yeah. and the movie sells you on the fact that mm-hmm. this, this is the reality of this world and this is destiny that yeah. is, it, it has weight and it actually impacts mm-hmm. you as an audience member, which I don't think that's easy to do with things that aren't fact. You know? Yeah. 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 I think that's a really good way to put that. Yeah. And you, I mean, you kind of have a sense from the beginning that, 
things are not going to go well for this guy. Um, just because like, I think in the very first moment we see him kind of flirting with Xena and we're like, okay, this guy's uh, uh, mm-hmm. ethically not what you might expect from a hero of a film. Right. And uh, so then that, the tarot reading comes in and it's like, okay, yeah, things are going to go poorly for this guy. And they surely do. It's a, eventually. it's a different, because uh, in the, the uh, Guillermo del Toro movie, we, they don't they don't talk about his father in, right mm-hmm. um, yeah that's one of the original things i was going to mention yeah that maybe that's a good thing to talk about now because it yeah the new yeah. one opens up with that the flaming house and we return to that a few times and realized at the end that he's killed his own father and uh that none of that's in in this old version at all i wonder if that's in the novel but um he he I does have know. a few comments in in this one that like just little hints of things about he knows he's a bad guy or like, uh, I don't know what drives me to do this, but I can't stop kind of things, um, which is interesting. And yeah, it's kind but of like in, how in, much do you want to know about a character? You know, do you? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, in a way, not knowing what might have mm-hmm. happened before this movie started is interesting. Just mystery, just like not seeing the geek you know in a, in a similar way like letting your it's mind a hitchcockian the, yeah mm-hmm. it's a hitchcockian idea to not yeah. um but uh you know um i don't see i'm looking through the synopsis of the novel right now and i don't mm-hmm. see a reference to his father. his father yeah so yeah. del toro yeah not only shows us the geek stuff he he spells out bradley cooper's childhood trauma for us and kind of <laughs> points it in that direction but yeah that's really interesting so Good i guess choice. as the story goes on he leaves the the carnival with molly which is rooney mara in the new one and is um played by colleen, colleen gray. gray in this one and yeah she's i think that's another way that del toro expanded her character a little bit because molly doesn't have a ton to do in this like she she's not a very i guess three-dimensional character she's Mm. you know she's the pretty one at the fair or at the carnival and um she does end up you know she stands up for herself but we don't really know that much about her or or get a Mm. ton of character stuff from her whereas with rooney mara we do get more and that's another thing where like xena gets more in the old one as well and molly gets less and that's probably another reason that tony collette's character is a little bit less in the new one because there's rooney mara's influence is a little bit bigger um yeah. So they leave the carnival, um, which actually that scene is interesting. I couldn't tell exactly what was being implied. I think it was being implied that they had had sex, but it, you know, it wasn't, it, it, you know, in 1947, that wasn't spelled out. Um, yeah. But everyone suddenly was mad at them that they were off, they were off together alone and, and said things like, you, well, are you going to get married? And so I guess that's what it was implying. Uh, and I, I would like to rewatch that and, and see. Um but then they also like they were kicked out for that reason in a way. Whereas in the in the new version, they ran off together. Um, so that's mm-hmm. that's a little bit of a difference as well. So they go on the road and um, form this mentalist act where she's his assistant and is uh, you know secretly feeding him the information and in code. Mm-hmm. And he's very successful at this. And then one day, Doctor Lilith, uh, what's her last name? Doctor Lilith Ritter which is Kate Blanchett in the new one and is Helen Walker in this original. She basically can tell he's doing something and tries to trick him, but he 
he bests her in a way. Uh, mm-hmm. it, and that, that scene is different in both versions as well. In the new one, like she has a gun in her purse and like he guesses that, which was a kind of a cool touch, but that doesn't happen in this one. She yeah. asks in the, in this one, she asks a question about her mother and he says, trick question, your mother's dead basically. And yeah. she's like, how did he possibly know this? But anyway, she's a psychiatrist and he ends up getting a hold of her records of her patients and using that uh, to, you know, fake read people's minds because he knows the intimate details of their lives and uh yeah that whole setup i mean even in the new one when i first saw it that that was one of the most shocking things is like oh my gosh like this is (laughs) such a violation of hipaa you know that kind of a thing yeah it totally is yeah just like so insidious and and ethically terrible to do something like that um but yeah, it's in this one in the old one. She she has like a record player where she's recording it on literal records. And it's like, oh, you have your records here. Um, and I do yeah, love so the, I do love the um, the visual of a record being how you mm, record it. You know, yeah, being pressed and all that. Yeah, it's a cool thing. And she has like um, secret compartments where she stores them all in her office, which is kind of cool too. Yes, yes. Um, and then of course this leads to the biggest con of all. Yes. Um, which is sort of two different characters as well uh, in the two different versions. Yeah. But let's talk about the original yeah. since that's what we're talking about. It's this, um, he's sort of a mob boss character, uh, right? Is that, isn't that, that your remembrance of it? Yeah. I'm trying to remember exactly what his title was, but I think that's right. Um, and he is sort of friends with a psychiatrist character, Dr. Lilith. And um, she knows about, you know, his lost love that died many many years ago and uh using that information and some other things um stan gets close to him and and you know continues to trick him and uh then he you know he says basically he'll give you a lot of money he's trying to build a a temple which is interesting i guess that would be um that's something i wasn't clear about in this version as well i guess that would be sort of a a money making location for him um like a venue for his act another and yeah another grift yeah Mm, yeah exactly and this uh mobster says if you can arrange a meeting with my lost love who's you know who's dead then i'll uh i'll be all in with this basically and that goes poorly he gets uh, molly to dress as her uh and this scene plays out very differently in in the new version well so in the new version it's um richard jenkins is playing this judge and it's the same same idea um Mm -hmm. but so if you've seen the new one uh, the what happens is he goes too close and realizes it's fake basically and then bradley cooper beats him to death which is terrible and runs him over with his car in this Mm -hmm. version um molly can't do it molly gives up and and like gives up the gig and it's like i'm sorry i'm lying whatever i can't do this and that's when he realizes and they just run away um and so he you know he has to be on the run now because this person has has caught him um so that's that's an interesting difference that plays out and then there's also a, a subplot where in this original version um it's something that happens in the club there's an older woman who um he tells her that he's commuting with her daughter who has died he's saying oh mm-hmm. she's here in the room with us and of course that's very meaningful and she pays him more money to do more things um and that's kind of all that happens there although it's interesting that's set up nicely because um 
maybe that's actually only in the new one at some point pete in, in either one of the films pete says don't don't do anything to to say you can raise the dead or talk to dead people and like that's a specific warning he gets and obviously he breaks that yes um but that character the old woman who has a dead daughter is played by mary steenburgen in the new version mm-hmm. and it gets really dark because uh yes. he after saying that he can communicate with their child they end up killing themselves to go be with him uh because he says you know we can be together in the afterlife and so they're like okay we're gonna do it so that's yeah that's another moment where it gets darker in the new version than it does in this original but yes yeah. much 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 darker that's kind of the <laughs> first really really big difference that happens mm-hmm. but um yes the i i looked up again in the novel uh he does not beat the guy to death they mm-hmm. just run away so the so that is another invention of the Del new Toro. version yeah <laughs> yeah um and it's an interesting it's an interesting choice to go that direction because it definitely takes it to the darkest possible place um yeah. mm-hmm. particularly with her in the white dress and the blood and you know um mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah, yeah. uh it's um it's interesting but i i um i kind of i personally think i like it when the stakes are more about like you just can't get away with this anymore you mm-hmm. know like his reputation yeah more than his he's, reputation you know, a murderer now mm-hmm. like I, I i don't think we have to raise it to the height of killing for it to be yeah for for, for to people to feel the impact and i think that's what the original does well mm. yeah I you agree. know yeah man. but that takes us to the last act yes of course. he's on the way out of town he goes he has, he has had a bunch of money that dr lilith is holding in her safe and he goes to get it um and essentially she then turns on him and keeps his money and uh you know he has had a few therapy sessions with her and she's like well i have dirt on you basically and actually she plays it as if you know she suddenly turns and is like what are you talking about uh these are delusions you're having like you you haven't actually done any of these things um and to kind of gaslight him i guess in that moment and uh then he, you know, he has to leave without the money and he runs off on the train and leaves Molly. And basically he's, we see him like kind of drifting and hanging out with other people who are homeless and yep. uh, drinking and, and becoming more and more of a drunk. And then in the Del Toro version, the final scene, which it is a really good ending. Um, so I think, I, I think I actually, this ending. Yeah, I, do prefer I think this, this is ending. a better ending. Mm-hmm. He's begging we'll for a job at this why. carnival and um, the guy says, no, no, no. And then basically the guy realizes how much of a drunk he is and eventually says, okay, I'll, I can offer you this role of a geek. Have you ever heard of a geek? And then Bradley Cooper, just this haunting, creepy laugh and says, I was born for that job. And then like going the perfect arc from like rise and fall to the lowest possible mm-hmm. place. It's such a great ending. Um, and I assume that is how the original ended at first before the studio made them change it. Cause that's what I read was that it was yeah, too Zanuck. dark. Uh, yeah. Daryl Zanuck, who was in charge of Fox. Uh, he, he didn't, he wanted something more upbeat for the ending. Mm-hmm. So there is another scene added. After yeah. Which was, that was interesting watching it in the order that I did. Cause like, okay, we're done. Right. I was like, Oh no, there's more. And basically Molly has now come back to this, this carnival as well. And is working there and sees him and there's sort of, they reconnect and there's like 
there's a glimpse of hope that things could get better. Yes. Um, Although, she, you like, know, hugs him at maybe, the end, maybe not. But, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's like, <laughs> but, is he still uh, going to be a geek? Like what's going on? But, but then that's how, that's how this one ends. So yes, it definitely feels like one of those tacked on studio endings that, um, yes. yeah. So, so I like that we kind of get that. Did, did you read about whether the novel ends that way? I'm guessing the novel ends with him becoming a geek. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That is the arc that is clearly intended for the story. Hmm. So, yeah. Um, so the only, yes. I think the only downside to the original version is the fact that it doesn't get that ending, but mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. it's there. It just keeps going. So yeah. Yeah. You know, um, but I, 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 I love the arc of the character, mm-hmm. but also because we don't tack murder onto the character in the forties, like we do in the more recent version where he's responsible for the death of a couple people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's easier, uh, you know, maybe having a glimmer of hope at the end is a little bit easier to digest just because, um, just because he isn't an entirely uh, terrible person necessarily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like we can still empathize with mm-hmm. him. And I don't know if we can empathize with Bradley Cooper by the end of Nightmare Alley. Yeah, maybe not. And that's interesting too. Del Toro plays up like the seven deadly sins in like the marketing and the poster and stuff. And I, I think you can kind of track how, you know, he's been very lustful in these ways and he's, you know, been deceptive in these other ways. Um, so that's interesting too. That, yeah, maybe he's less, uh, less likable, like you're saying. Uh, yeah, one thing I do yeah. like about the original too that I I would have to rewatch the new one to kind of remember, but there's a lot of kind of religious talk at, at different moments where Molly chastises him for. Um, she's like, he says, "Well, there's other mentalists doing the kind of same thing," and she says, "They don't talk like they're preachers." I thought that was interesting. Mm-hmm. They don't talk like they they are God and like they know what's going on. So that kind of comes back here and there, which I thought was a really kind of a cool little touch that you know maybe a, of the time like um with more strong christian values in the nation about you know if you're yeah. going against what god wants then that's that's more serious and maybe that wouldn't work in the new version as well but i, I like that aspect of it yeah i mean i like that does add like a certain um uh there's a weight to it when you mm-hmm. when you think cuz this movie establishes again a world where fate and destiny feel very imminent and um and so it only makes sense to have and have each character in their own way parroting that so tarot Mm. the idea of of uh future knowledge might be Mm -hmm. how one character accesses that but having another character talking about religion i think has weight because again Mm. this is the world that we've established where people yeah really do believe that being damned is uh, a clear and Mm -hmm. present danger so yeah and there's there's more talk about the bible too i'm just remembering like there's different moments where uh he says well i read my bible whatever yeah so that's interesting uh but yeah one one other just interesting historical thing this is again out of this criterion article that i'll share but um i'll just read it verbatim because it's interesting it says nightmare alley has something of a reputation for being quote-unquote cursed a cursed film for those involved particularly for goulding the director and for actor helen walker who plays the devious psychologist dr lilith ritter goulding's career rapidly declined afterwards and his last films were fairly 
inconsequential musicals and comedies, and he died in 1959. So just, what, 10, 12 years later from this film. Yeah. And then another story about uh, Helen Walker. A few months before the filming began, she picked up three hitchhikers and had a horrible accident in which one of them died. She was eventually acquitted of of drunk and reckless driving as well as on a later manslaughter charge, but her reputation was badly damaged just as her career was taking off. And then her house burned to the ground in 1960 and she died at the age of 47 in 1968. So rough go for Helen Walker. Um, interesting to, to know that about her. And and we talked about how this Tyra Power died only about 10 or so years after this mm, too. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. Um, so this was only the second movie that Tyrone Power made after coming back from service in World War II, which is um, interesting to think about uh, just because if you look at the careers of some of these actors who went off and served and then came back, uh, there is a different definite difference between pre and post-war output. And we talked about how Tyrone Power played these lighter films prior and then he comes back and just second movie out he makes this really heavy film i think that has Mm. a nice parallel to jimmy stewart who Mm. uh goes off to service and then the first movie he makes is it's a wonderful life which a lot of people know as being saccharine but if you actually watch it the character jimmy plays and the way that he plays it up until the end is super dark and exploring a completely different side of him as an actor. And of course, mm-hmm. in the 10 years after, uh, 10 or 15 years after he comes back from World War II, he makes a lot of really hard-edged Westerns and mm-hmm. uh, Hitchcock movies. Um, and I think Tyrone Power kind of came back from the war and and similarly uh, mm-hmm. ended up deciding to do some projects that had a little bit more meat on their bones. I think that a lot of it has had to go with going and seeing some really, really Mm -hmm. disturbing parts of life and wanting to connect more with uh, a certain level of hard edged reality. Yeah. Yeah. And then that connects back to what we talked about with the third man last time too, about um, just the, the reaction in some ways that noir is to that era to world war two. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the line about the cuckoo clock and all of that about, you know, kind of the hard yeah. times producing good art in a way or, uh, yeah, all of that. So yeah, that's really interesting to, to think about that. Yeah, this is definitely, well. it's just a movie that wouldn't have been made five years before with the same, mm-hmm. with the same mm-hmm. tone. Like this is a, yeah. this is a post world war two movie and as such because of that pessimism because of the way it's shot because of the darkness to this Mm -hmm. previously light-hearted actor at the center of it it very much defines film noir yeah yeah and, and as far as i'm glad we watched this too because um this was one that i hadn't seen and it you know I don't know, for some reason, I wasn't super excited about it, honestly. I was like, it's a good, it's tie-in with the modern film, but I really, really connected with this a lot. And it's darker in some ways than most of the noirs I've seen, I think. Like, um, the, the, certainly then, I mean, The Third Man, of course, I mean, all noirs are dark, but uh, this just really gets into some gritty places that I didn't expect it to. So, yeah, yeah I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of Nightmare Alley. Well, get ready. 
because we're getting <laughs> well, <that's>... super <laughs> yeah. dark next week. <laughs> All right. Maybe that's a good a good transition. So that's Nightmare Alley. We can wrap that discussion up. And next time we are going to look at a film called In a Lonely Place by I don't know who who's the director of it actually. It's um uh uh uh, uh oh my god um I'll put you on the spot sorry <laughs> no no I know I'm I it's um he did Rebel Without a Cause uh uh. Uh, he was married to Gloria Graham, who's the co star at the time. Uh, Nicholas Ray. Nicholas Ray. Yes. Nicholas, Nicholas Ray. Ray. That's right. <laughs> uh, um, yes, Nicholas Ray stars Humphrey Bogart. That's really all I know about is that it stars Humphrey Bogart. Um, so I'm excited to to watch that. It feels like we needed to have a Bogart movie if we're talking about film noir. I mean, he's but like I the like king. this is yeah. This one is a little and, bit more off the beaten path than you know the big. And we talked about. Talking. We talked about doing like a big sleep or um, one of his other movies mm-hmm. with Lauren Bacall, but this is one that I think needs more attention. And uh, it, it's it's dark. It's it, it's a dark mm-hmm. movie, and it's about <laughs> a screenwriter, which I appreciate. Ooh, interesting! I so like this takes place in Hollywood. Movies. Yeah. Uh, In a Lonely Place is streaming on Amazon Prime and on Tubi and Crackle, which I think are going to have ads. So do Amazon Prime if you have that. Uh, But then it's also there is a a Criterion physical edition of it as well, which has a cool cover. I've seen the cover, but again, that's all I know about this movie. So that is for next time. Um, And I guess we can wrap up. I'm excited to get into that one next. And thank you, as always, Rance, for coming and sharing your wisdom with us. Of course. Always. Absolutely. And we will see you next time. Huge thanks to Rance. That was a great conversation. Just a little reminder about the recent change to the podcast format. Instead of doing two films every other week, one old and one new, I've split that in half. So it's every week, just one film per week, alternating between old and new. So next week, I'm reviewing the new film from Korean director Hong Sang-soo, That one's called In Front of Your Face. And then the week after that will be the next episode in the film noir series about the Humphrey Bogart starring In a Lonely Place. So stay tuned for all of that. And with that, thank you, thank you for listening to Art House Garage. We've got a few years worth of episodes, and you can hear all of those in your podcast app of choice. Our theme music is by composer Paul Hunefeld. Learn more at appallingproductions.com. If you want to support Arthouse Garage, become a patron over at patreon.com slash arthousegarage or find a link in the show notes. You can also buy an Arthouse Garage t-shirt at arthousegarage.com slash shop. If you want to support us without spending any money, leave a rating or review in your podcast app, and that is hugely helpful. Stay in the loop about Arthouse Garage and the films we're covering by subscribing to our email newsletter at arthousegarage.com slash subscribe, or you can email me directly, andrew at arthousegarage.com. And of course, follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Just search at Arthouse Garage in all those places or find links in the show notes. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you again so much for listening. And until next time, keep it snob free.